And so he had all kinds of great stories about how this company was going to the moon and he didn't understand the setback, but this company was going to fly. And I was a stupid kid and I bought it hook, line and sinker and I put even more money into it. So I made this stupid mistake of averaging down on a loss, you know, chasing good money after bad. And eventually it went to zero. I lost everything. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by Women Building Wealth Membership Group, the complete proven step-by-step course to guide women from novice to confident investor. To learn more, go to womenbuildingwealth.net. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guests, Todd Tresseter. Todd, are you ready to rock? I'm ready. Let's do it. Let me tell the audience a bit about you. Todd is the author of seven personal finance books with an eighth coming shortly. Where do you find the time? (laughs) (laughs) He created a course on strategic wealth planning and is the founder of financialmentor.com, a popular personal finance site. Also, he is a self-made millionaire and was financially independent at age 35. Ladies and gentlemen, a little round of applause. That's pretty amazing. That, of course, was more than two decades ago. And he's been coaching clients for the last two decades on how to do the same, giving him an unusual depth of experience. And ladies and gentlemen, two decades of sustaining financial independence is maybe just as impressive as the time it took for him to gain financial independence. Todd has maintained his wealth by remaining an active investor and utilizing statistical and mathematical risk management systems for investing. Through his website at financialmentor.com, he teaches advanced investing and advanced retirement planning principles. People who work with Todd take the next step beyond conventional financial advice and discover what works, what doesn't, and why, based on his years of proven experience. Todd, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Well, I think you covered the financial nuthead aspect of me pretty well. So yeah, I have a passion for personal finance and investing. The personal side wasn't really in there. So, you know, I'm kind of an, I'm also an outdoor person. So, you know, skiing, backpacking, hiking, mountain biking, you know, that's what I really enjoy doing, reading books. I love reading, you know, so that was one of the neat things that I learned in attaining financial independence was leading a satisfying life isn't really about spending a lot of money. It's about being able to do what you enjoy. And fortunately, the things I enjoy don't cost a lot of money once you get the basic toys you need to do them. So I think that's probably about the only thing you missed. The other thing in there was, um, you know, when I was in the hedge fund business, I spent 12 years researching most of the investment strategies that existed at the time. So I spent 12 years doing all kinds of quantitative computer research in the investment markets, which is where I built a lot of my knowledge. But my, my bad investment came before that. So mm. we'll get into And just out of curiosity, if you were to encapsulate your style or your, the way you think about investing, how would, how would you describe it? I mean, I know here you say statistical and mathematical risk management is, how would you describe it in a nutshell about the way you think about investing compared to others? I'm a pure quant. 
So for those that don't know what that means, quant is short for quantitative. So I'm purely by the numbers. I did actually had an interesting test when we ran the hedge fund because I'm actually pretty good at investing using my brain. Mm-hmm. And so we actually ran a side-by-side test where we had the systems that I developed, the quant systems, and then we had me. And I tried to out-trade my systems. And I was probably right about 70% of the time I'm getting, you know, it's right in that neighborhood. And then, but the 20 to 30% of the time that I was wrong, I'd be wrong by so much that eventually the quant methodologies would beat me. So even though I'd be right more often than the quant methodologies, the risk management discipline and the quant methodologies would end up passing me up every time. Mm. And is the risk management in the quant methodology because a quant methodology removes some of the emotion from it? Or are you saying that you and, and you are particularly good at removing the emotion already, but the quant added an edge because of that, whatever emotion you brought to it, it takes it out? Yeah, exactly. You know, humans, I always, uh, there's a piece I need to write. It's all mapped out in a drawer. It's called Hardwired to Fail. And it's just basically that humans are hardwired to fail at investing. And the reason for that is we're social, you know, group dynamic animals. And so the time when we're most confident is the time when we're most likely to be wrong. And so, you know, we seek, the way we think, we seek social proof and we seek corroborating evidence. And we just, you know, we have very much impaired judgment to do investing right. And then on top of that, the essence of investing is putting capital at risk into an unknowable future. And so when you put capital at risk into an unknowable future, if it's by definition unknowable, then the question becomes, how do you do that? And the answer is through understanding expectancy mathematics and the future value equation and building methodologies that respect the math of how wealth compounds. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds like a mouthful, but if people listen to it and they take and look those things up and dissect it, they'll see what I'm talking about. Yeah. So anyway... You know, once you understand it, it's really pretty simple and straightforward, but it just takes a lot of learning to understand it because it's a completely different framework of understanding how to invest. Yep. And I have one last question about your thinking and your methodology. And that is, if we, let's just look at 20 years of your performance. And let's just say that on average, your performance was, you know, let's say 10% as an example. And The question that I would ask is, when I was young, I used to think that getting that type of average annual performance or whatever it is, that it was all about hitting home runs. It was about the gains. And later, of course, I grew up and I realized, holy crap, it's a lot more or maybe a lot more than I thought about preventing the massive losses. So if you could dissect that 10% average annual return, which is very difficult to do to say what amount's coming from the risk management of avoiding massive downsides versus what's coming from capturing you know, big upsides, how would you split that? Is this about, you know- is, I, I wouldn't, I yeah. wouldn't split okay. it. What I would say is that you have to have both. The way I explain it is, if you want to know what the uh, American will talk about American football, right? Mm. If you want to know what the top team is, it's going to win the Super Bowl each year. You know, it's not going to be the absolute best, or most of the time, it's not going to be the absolute best offensive team. And most of the time, it's not going to be the absolute best defensive team. Usually the team that will win the championship is the team that's in the top 10 or 20% in both categories. It's the combined weight of the two when you understand Again, the math of how wealth compounds, you understand that it's both. 
it's not an either or and you can't wait it one way or the other. The less you lose when you're wrong, the less you have to make when you're right to win the game. And so you just have to consistently compound. So consistency is the key. You've got to, you know, it's basically, I mean, if you look at mathematical expectancy, it's probability times payoff. Mm. And it's the payoff equation that screws everybody up. It's not intuitive. Everybody thinks in terms of probability, right? That's what's intuitive. We think of the odds of something happening, whether or not we're going to win or not, or what the chances are we're going to win. That's how everybody thinks. But the way wealth compounding works is it's expectancy. It's not probability. So in expectancy is probability times payoff. And when you look at the payoff equation, it's, you know, average win time. I'm sorry. It's the average win relative to the average loss and the relative gains. And so you have to look and realize that the one thing you can truly weight and control is the payoff equation. And so, because probabilities are difficult in an unknowable future. Mm-hmm. And so it just really changes the emphasis when you understand how this stuff works mathematically and what you have to do. Mm. Well, that's fascinating. And for the listeners out there, I know I've got plenty of listeners who like a disciplined approach a thoughtful way of looking at it and structure, I think they're going to check you out for sure. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. All right. Well, I was fresh out of college and I'd been, you know, I had a a decent resume coming out of college. I'd been like the business manager for all the campus businesses and all this stuff. And so this takes you back a bit in time. It would have been what middle nineties. And there was the book in search of excellence. I don't know if you remember that. Oh yeah. And you know, HP was one of the top companies to work for. And I went to HP straight out of college and I was working for him. And there was a friend of mine in the credit department and he was talking, we were having lunch together one day, just jibber jabbering and talking shop or whatever. And he was talking about a new company that they were working with. They were buying HP mainframes and they were listed in the pink sheets on the NASDAQ. So you can probably already tell where this is going. So, you know, he kind of had his hot tip. He was putting his money in it. He had done, since he was in the credit department, he had done a financial analysis of the company and all this. So this was like this cool insider scoop I had on this amazing emerging company, right? That was, they had this, algorithm that was dominating how mail was going to be sent. I mean, it sounds so absurd now, but it sounded cool at the time. (laughs) And so I was busily saving for my MBA. I had, you know, I'd come out of regular undergraduate and I was, but I had to pay my way through school. I wasn't a silver spoon and I was trying to pay off my school costs and I was saving money. And, and so I plunked my savings down into this pink sheet stock. And initially it went up. But, you know, I didn't know anything about new issues. I knew nothing about how this business worked. And so I didn't understand that that's pretty standard protocol for new issues is what they'll do is they'll pump them up in order to get, you know, people excited about the stock and it's going to the moon and they create demand. And and so I was in early enough that I got an initial rise up and I kept plunking more money into it. The more I had, the more I put into it. I thought, boy, this is going to pay for all my college and it's going to be great. And then uh, suddenly it turned. And then it started going down. And magically, the stockbroker called me as it was going down. It was like you could almost read my mind that I wasn't enjoying losing money. Amazing how that works. And so he had all kinds of great stories about how this company was going to the moon and he didn't understand the setback, but this company was going to fly. And I was a stupid kid and I bought it hook, line, and sinker and I put even more money into it. 
So I made this stupid mistake of averaging down on a loss, you know, chasing good money after bad. And eventually it went to zero. I lost everything. And you can't get much worse investment than that. And that was my very first investment ever. So my very first investment, I lost everything. <laughs> what a lesson at such a, you know, time at the right time, really, ultimately. Yeah, in hindsight, it was the perfect time, right? Because I had no money. I mean, I had enough to invest in it. But in terms of where we're at today, it was an inconsequential amount of money. But to me, it was a huge amount at the time. It was everything I had. You know, it was less than 10,000, but it was measured in thousands, right? Yeah. So, and for a kid trying to save for graduate school, that's a lot of money. And I'm, so I I'm, lost all of it. You I'm know, curious it about- Incredibly painful. Yeah. How did the emotions go? I mean, obviously you must have felt like a hero at the beginning, felt excited that you got some inside, you know, information, you found a company that, that people don't know and it's exciting. But then when it starts to turn and then broker calls or other things happen, what was the trajectory of your emotion over that time? Oh, just hope, blind, ignorant hope, you know, just thinking it's going to come back. And, you know, I had the inside scoop and the broker said it's going good and, you know, and it would just keep going down and it was painful. And if, at some point you just throw in the towel and you go, oh, geez, the whole thing's gone, you know, and oh my God, how stupid could I be and all that. But, you know, even then when I lost it all, I didn't even know enough to know how stupid I was. You know, it's like, I didn't realize all the mistakes I'd made at the time. It was only in hindsight, as I started to learn, I realized, you know, the depth and the, the level of all the different mistakes I was making. And I want to go through those mistakes, but one of the things that I would I would highlight at this point, and curious what your thoughts are, is that having spent most of my life originally studying finance and starting with very little money, so I couldn't even really invest that much in the beginning. So I was really careful as I you know moved into allocating my money into stocks and in the market. But when I see people come into the market who don't know anything about the market, in some ways it's like, and I've had people even say, you know, isn't this the way it works? You know, like this is the way it works. You start making a salary and brokers call you and this is cool. And yeah, you win some, you lose some. And this is like, to some extent, it's like there's this massive misconception when young people come into the market. And as I always say, having worked for my career as an analyst for brokers in Thailand is the less you know, the more you're welcomed. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. I've never really worked on the sales side of the industry. I've only worked on the investment management side of the industry, which we can get into if you want. But so, I'm just curious, like when you were young and you were going into the market, did you just think like, this is what everybody does? You get a tip, you hear something, you do a little bit no, of research. I, you know, I really, I really think it was more gambler's mentality. I think I just, you know, I just thought I had a hot stock tip and I thought, you know, I had inside info and this was just a slam dunk and I was going to put money in and I was going to pull a shitload out. And, you know, I just was stupid. I didn't know what I was doing. Well, listeners out there, get ready to learn the lessons from this because I know that we've got listeners out there who have been eyeballing a particular stock or a particular asset class or a particular thing thinking this is going to fly and I've got inside information or I've got something that really other people don't see. So Todd, let's go through. What lessons did you learn from this experience? <laughs> How long do you have? Oh, we got all the time <laughs> in the world. All right. Well, let's just kind of start counting some off here. So one is don't buy on hot stock tips, right? Don't risk money you can't afford to lose. Don't buy a story. 
right? And yeah. if you think about it, you're buying on you're buying a business. So if you're going to buy based on any sort of fundamentals, it better be business fundamentals. You must, must, must have a risk management plan in place, you know, <laughs> including an exit strategy. Don't play a game that you don't fully understand. I mean, I was in the new issue market. It's a very specialized game and there's rules that that game is played by. And I violated all of them with pure stupidity because I didn't know the game. Don't confuse brains with a bull market, <laughs> right? Which many, many people are doing right now as we record this. Yep. Don't ever buy based on news and don't chase good money after bad by averaging down. Mm. And another one, don't let a win turn into a loss. That's, so I don't know, is that, is that enough to get going here? I think that's a great list. And um, I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of those lessons have now been built into the way that you invest yourself plus the way that you teach other people to manage their investment. As I, listen, as I listen that to loss, that. that loss was the best investment in education I could have made. Although I obviously didn't know it at the time. Mm. I mean, at the time it was incredibly painful, but in hindsight, I mean, you know, I, I kind of looked at it and went, wow, if I could lose that much that fast through sheer stupidity, I wonder what I could make if I actually knew what I was doing. Mm. You know? yeah. And it turns out it's much harder to make money than it is to lose. It's, it's really <laughs> easy to lose money. Um, <laughs> it's more challenging to make money. So my logic wasn't quite correct when I did that. But that was the logic that got me in the investment management business was this loss. Actually, I was like, well, shoot, I guess I'm going to have to figure this out. If I want financial freedom, ultimately I have to become an expert investor. Mm. And clearly I'm not, <laughs> you know, at the time when I, uh, when I made that mistake, I clearly wasn't. So I figured, well, I better start learning. And so I started aggressively reading everything I could on the subject. Fantastic. Well, let me summarize what I take away from it and then see if there's anything you would add. I think the most important thing I'd take away from it that you just said is you've got to learn the game before you play it. And I think yeah. that's, that's a critical you know, thing. Let's just take a gambling analogy, which you know, gambling isn't investing, right? Because gambling is a negative expectancy bet, whereas you can tilt the odds and tilt the, tilt the game in investing to where you can have a positive expectancy experience. But just to stay with it, because you're basically putting capital risk in an unknowable future with gambling. So there's some analogies that apply. I lost where I was going to go with it. I was so busy explaining the difference between gambling and investing. <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, I, th I can tell you one thing, one way to think about gambling is just to flip it the other way. And when you think about the house and we say the house always wins, the point is that's a positive expectancy. Uh, you know, that's what Todd's talking about. The idea that with investing over the long term, you have the likelihood that you're going to get a positive return. Whereas if you're the gambler walking into the room, basically you have an expectancy that's going to be negative. Oh, I know. I remember where I was going with the story. Yeah. So the way the story went was that, you know, take a blackjack player that knows all the probabilities, knows all the odds for every given hand and for every card the dealer shows you know, he still is running a negative expectancy bet unless he's a card counter and there's a minimum number of decks that they're playing out of, right? And even then he can only tilt the odds slightly if he's really good at card counting. But, you know, if you go in and you don't know any of that, then, then your expectancy is horrific. You know, then it's pure gambling, literally gambling. There's no, you know, you're just going to lose money if you're going to just take whimsical bets unless you're just purely lucky. Yep. I just, I like, I like what I'm taking away from this, which is know the game before you play. Yeah. 
the other thing that I take away from it is, you know, Todd, through, through my talks with many, many people now about their worst <clears throat> investment ever, I've identified six common mistakes. And I would say that one of the common mistakes that this one was would be mistake number two, which is the second most common, which is fail to properly assess and manage risk. Yep. So part of it is assessing, obviously, the risk of that particular company and all that. But the other part of it is managing risk. And that is about the position size, how much money you put into it, things like that. And Your so exit I would say, strategy. Yeah, the exit strategy. And that also brings me to that exit strategy, which I would just briefly talk about from my own experience is that as an analyst at a broker all of my career and a head of research, my true desire was to try to find stocks that were going up and recommend to my clients that, hey, this, this has got a good story. I like the management. The industry's good, blah, blah, blah. But the hardest thing for an analyst and for anybody really is that decision of what to do when the stock goes down. And I think that that is where we, when we talk about the emotion in investing, that is a brutal emotion. The emotion of starting to fail and the intensity of that we've seen from Nobel Prize research, you know, Nobel Prize in economics research about the pain of loss is two and a half times the, the feeling of, you know, excitement when you're winning. And that is really the time that if you do not have a risk management system in place, it could be a stop loss. It could be, you know, just, you know, your, I mean, some people's risk management system from like long-term investors that I've met, fund managers, they, their risk management system is I'm going to always buy cheap. I'm never going to buy expensive stock because that's my way of managing my risk. But, you know, other people use stop losses and other things, but my goodness, have a risk management strategy for every single one of your investments. Just curious about what your thoughts are for the audience about the importance of risk management and how could they even think about that? That's a hard thing for someone new to the game to think about. It's the first consideration in investing. I always think in terms of what can I lose and only secondarily do I consider what I can win. My focus is entirely on controlling losses. And how you know, could we're, yep. we're inherently greedy, right? Mm -hmm. So the only way to balance yourself is to focus on the loss side of the equation to bring balance to the analysis. Mm. Yeah, and that I think is a critical. So so let's move now into the actionable advice based upon what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn. What one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Well, we're going to sound repetitive, but risk management, right? Focus on risk management first and foremost. And the reason for that is you can make all the other mistakes, but if you've got risk management right, you can still win in the long term. Mm. If you don't have risk management right, any one mistake can bury you. That's, and that's just, again, in the math of how money compounds, a large negative payoff can destroy your entire expectancy equation. And so you can't take large negative payoffs. I was really lucky. I took my single largest negative payoff in terms of percentage terms on my very first investment. So it never screwed up my compound return. It just stopped me from compounding at all. And I started a little later, right? If I'd done it now, it would have destroyed a lifetime of compounding. Yeah. Right? The years of compounding are also ahead of you are just not as many anymore. So you've lost that, not only the compounding that you've done, but also the potential for that big compounding that happens in year 20 and 30 and 40. 
yeah, you don't want to start over at age 58. It's much better to start over after only losing a few grand in age 20, what, 23 or whatever I was. Exactly. Um, exactly. So. Okay. So risk management is key. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? My course. So expectancy wealth planning course that I have on my website at financialminner.com. That course, I've got one last module to build out. The the promise of the course is already totally built out. I just have one extra module I'm building out that's kind of a concluding module. And then I'm going to build out the all the evergreen launch funnels in it. So build a whole sales system behind it to support it. So I'm excited building that out. It's already doing well and clients are loving it. And so now it's time to get it to be accessible to a lot more people, get it exposure to a lot more people. That's fantastic. And for the listeners out there, I mean, think about the, the beauty of this podcast is that we get to meet people who are willing to step through their worst investment. And trust me, most people say no when I ask them to come on the show. Really? Most, absolutely. Most That's people surprising say, to me. I mean, so what? So you made an investment loss. It, it's sort of like if you don't strike, if if you don't strike out, you're not swinging the bat. I mean, everybody's got them. What's there to be ashamed of? Well, I think you're a good example, and I really want you know, I want the listeners to hear that because it's critical. You're a professional. You're a guy that knows finance very well, and you understand the value of walking through your worst investment. But I can tell you that the first, you've got an issue of embarrassment and shame. People who have lost or feel embarrassed, they feel shameful about what happened. The second one is that they also have a perception that people would, you know, a feeling that people would perceive them as, you know, they would build their perception around that particular loss. When in fact, people build perception around, you know, positive perceptions around people who are willing to explore and talk about their loss and learn from it. And so, yeah, it's a challenge. And, you know, I, my hat's off to you. And I think for the listeners I, out there. I, I, mean, I still make investment mistakes every day. I mean, I, I lose money still. The difference is now I make very small losses because I'm very good at risk management and I make very large wins when I'm right. Yeah. And so over time it compounds into something successful, but I still screw up all the time. The difference is now I understand risk management. Exactly. And I think that for the listeners out there, you know, I think let's appreciate the people that come on the show who are willing to share that story. And, and I think, you know, I, I'll wrap this up by just saying there's another story of loss to help us keep winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com and get to know the many people who are willing to go through their story of loss. As we end, Todd, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Yeah, we'll just close on the note you were talking about, which is it's really not painful to talk about your losers. You know, nobody's born a smart investor. Nobody's born skilled at this. As a matter of fact, we're, we're hardwired. We're DNA that is opposing what we should be doing as a smart investor. That's one of the reasons I use quantitative disciplines is to overcome my natural emotions. So, you know, it's not painful to talk about this. This is part of learning how to invest is to recognize that if you're going to use judgment like that and stories and stock tips and stuff like that, guess what? You're going to have the next story. <laughs> and that is true. So I think that's a great way to end this episode by challenging the listeners to say, 
stories of loss are actually the stories that we gain from. And I think Todd has given us a great example of that. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.